Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 291 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid, the Rivian R1S, the Genesis G90, first drive of the Dodge Hornet. Uh, Ford launches an Explorer EV in Europe only. Uh, there's also a possibility of the Capri name returning on another Ford EV. Ford's got a new uh, electric vehicle and battery plant going up in Memphis, near Memphis, Tennessee. Kia unveils the EV5 concept. And we learn a little bit more about the electric truck that Ford's going to build in Tennessee. All that and more coming up next. <laughs> This is Wheel Bearings episode 291. I am Sam Abul Samich from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakelin, and we will go with Newsweek's Fast Women podcast today. And unfortunately, Robbie texted me a couple hours ago and said he couldn't make it today. So yes. it's just the two of us today. Just me uh, and Sam. It's the Sam yeah. and Nicole show. Yeah. So what have you been driving? I have been driving the... Let's see. What's the entire? Oh, I'm going to read the entire title. The 2023 <laughs> Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV SELS-AWC. Oof. I know, that's, right? That's a that's a lot of name. It's a lot. So basically, it's the Outlander <laughs> plug-in hybrid in the SEL trim with the what do they call it? Super all-wheel control, which for yeah. the rest of us is all-wheel drive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's what I've got this week. So uh, I mean, yeah, it's. I haven't driven the new Outlander plug-in hybrid, and it's been a few years since I drove the old one. I have driven the regular four-cylinder gas engine version. Yeah. Um, how is the the new plug-in? I think it's good. You know, I didn't dislike the old one. You know, I thought it was it was solid. This one, too, and I'm trying to look up. I I just realized I have half a Monroni, so I have none of the numbers for the fuel economy and how far it goes on a charge which i unfortunately will have to look up um, I'll, I'll i'll do that while you Google. talk okay well i talk thank you sam thank you for the assist so i like this one i mean it has the only my only thing that i don't like about it is it's a little noisy when the hybrid when you're not driving in ev mode and you're just driving on the gas engine it can get a little whiny if you if you really slam that accelerator down to to go like if you really want to go you hear a little bit it gets a little bit a little bit whiny, but it mm. is still responsive. Like Mitsubishi has this weird reputation. Like once upon a time, Mitsubishi is hot little fun little cars, right? Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, we're going to go build crossovers. And everyone's like, oh, these aren't great. These are kind of cheap. These are kind of chintzy. These aren't really, they're not great. Like they had the, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't their forte and it showed, I guess is how I would say it. Now I feel like they're, they're, they're doing better. Like the Outlander plug-in hybrid, I would not be afraid to buy this. And it's been interesting watching people as I'm sharing stuff on social media, like, I don't know, I would be afraid to buy a gas Mitsubishi, much less something with plug-in hybrid technology. Don't be afraid. It's fine. It's good. It actually is a decent, it's a decent little um, crossover. And I call it crossover. They're going to say SUV, but here's the other thing. This has three rows, sort of. Um, <laughs> it is like, okay, so here's first well, of all, the, what? The, the, the thing to keep in mind, okay, this new uh, generation of the Outlander yes. is based on the Nissan Rogue platform. 
Right. And so it has the he, same wheelbase and it's the same length. Exactly. And the Nissan Rogue is not a three row SUV. No. Is not. So nope. they it, you can call this an SUV. In fact, it does. My same Moroni with a giant title, four door SUV. I, it's like it's barely an SUV. <laughs> the thing is, when you put the third row in, and and the cool thing is that it folds down into the cargo area in the back. The not cool thing is that it actually has a four step process to release it from the cargo area in the back, and it's so baffling that each of the little straps you pull has a number and then there's a little permanent little diagram stuck <laughs> to it because I literally and I got back there I'm not kidding Sam I was like what oh no that oh no wait that flips the second row what and I'm looking at the little diagram I'm like one two three oh push this three is the headrest push that down I literally had to do it like four times before I'm like all right I got this now like one of the straps literally you just tug on the one strap and you kind of hear a little click and that releases something, <laughs> but unless you pull it and get a little click, it's not going to let the seats fold back down. So it's a little wonkety to, it, it takes a process. Once you got it, you got it. But if anybody like else goes to fold that seats down, like if you ask a friend to go fold them down or pop them up, they're going to be like, what the heck? I can't do this. They're going to get lost. They're going to do it wrong. You can actually, because I did it, fold the seat down, but still have it open. So part of it sticks over the tailgate and you're like, nope. That can't be right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so the seats are a little, fu little funky and there's really honest to God, not enough room back there for everybody, for people to sit. It's only got two rows in that back, in the back back. So it's a seven passenger. I moved the front, the middle row forward enough that I could sit in the third row, but I mean, sit so that my my legs were fitting between the seat. Like there was no room. Like you could sit in like put your legs straight down and that's it. There's zero room just so barely so you can get your feet. And the second row passengers are, their knees are the same way. So it's just, it's not a very usable third row. It is truly, you're in a pinch. We're all going to die. If we don't use a third row, I've got one. That's how I look at the third <laughs> row in this. It, it sounds, it sounds like it's, um, if you remember the previous generation rogue, when it came out back in, I want to say around 2014, 15 or yeah. so, for at least two or three model years at the beginning of the, that cycle, they did offer a similar third row in there. Yeah. And it was basically useless yeah. like this. And, it's exactly <laughs> like that. It's exactly yeah. the same. And wasn't it called the Rogue? I remember, was it the Rogue XL for a while or something? Mm, no, I, no I don't think so. I think it was them. just the, the regular Rogue. Just and the regular it was just, Rogue. It was just a third okay. row was an option. So, um, yeah, because it wasn't like any that. longer than any other rogue. It was the same yeah, like as, it was as the, the two same. row. It, yeah, and that's the problem. It's like I get you know, it, it's just not this car isn't. It's not big enough for a third row. Now, if you if you're just putting cargo back there and you have the seat folded down, the four step process, and you got it folded down, and you push the second row, you know, all the way back so that it's as far back as it goes. Then riding in the second row is great. It's actually really roomy. There's plenty of room. There's good headroom. There's good leg room. Um, two people really easily sitting back there. Three adults. You can still sit back there. You'd be a little snug, like you wouldn't want to go on a road trip, but there's enough room. So if you're using it all the time as a two-row SUV, you're totally fine. And it's a comfortable, nicely appointed. It has a really attractive interior, nice supportive front seats, very comfy. But if you're going to use that third row for anything other than like, well, wait, we messed up. We need a little bit more seating for this really short drive. You're not going to be pleased with that third row. It just doesn't, it's not realistic, but driving it, it's fine to drive. It has a good amount of power. 
uh, like I said, the only time is if you really are aggressive on the gas, you get a little bit of wine, you can hear it. It doesn't sound great, but in terms of having enough power to get moving, it gets out of its own way. It handles well. Um, I just drove it home from a movie in pouring rain. I was almost late for the podcast guys. John wick is longer than you think it is. So I was late <laughs> getting to the podcast, but it was, it's really torrential rains. It handled really well. So it's a little super all wheel control did its thing and made it, it felt very confident, even though the roads are very, very wet. Um, so, I mean, in terms of a driving experience, the interior look, style, and comfort, I give it all a, a great score on that, except that third row. That third row, no. No, that's not really usable. It, do you know, is that third row an option, or is it standard equipment on um, the You know what? That's a good question. Plug-in. I don't know if it's a standard or an option. I honestly um, don't know, Sam. I didn't check that out to see whether it was standard. I somehow thought it was a standard. It, it looks like it. I'm just going through I the building price on the Mitsubishi yeah, website. I, and, I had it in my head that it was a standard feature yeah. that they that you just got the third row. It wasn't like you could ditch it and give your because if you did ditch it, you're going to have your cargo area would get. I mean, because it all yeah. folds. It folds down. I mean, it's nice that it folds down, and once it's folded down, it is like nice little compact. It makes me think of the. Um, like the stow and go seats that you have oh, yeah. in the Pacifica, the Pacifica, where they just kind of once they're folded down, you don't even realize there's a seat there. They create this nice mm-hmm. level floor. So it's the same thing, except the Pacifica seats are way easier to stow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same idea. Once you fold yeah. those down, it's not like you have bumps and ridges from the seats. It's just a nice low, like flat, perfectly flat cargo floor, and you don't have to worry about anything getting you know lost on the sides or whatever. Um but yeah, it's, it's super small people. It's and when people say, yo, use for the kids, you, I don't know how you would get back there to put your kids into that seat. Like, and the thing is, buckle them in. you know, for, for small kids that are going to fit in there, they should probably be at least in a booster seat anyway, right. uh, if not a child seat, in which case, you know, then, you know, you're going to, they're going to be sticking out a little bit more anyway and right. you're trying to get in there, reach in there to strap them in and everything. Yeah. Th- it sounds like the best thing to do if you get an Outlander plug-in hybrid is just fold down those back seats mm-hmm. and then forget they ever existed. Pretty much. I mean, just- pretty much. Unless I said like zombie apocalypse, I need that second row to save a third row to save a couple people spend 20 minutes figuring out how it works, flip it up and save two people. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, you could, just you know, if you're in a zombie apocalypse, yes, that may be one time when it might be okay to like just shove two or three people in the cargo area. I don't know, safety save, first. Save, I mean, yeah, if, but you want to save that twenty minutes. That's I mean, true. you're probably going to gain more from that extra twenty minutes you have to get away from the get, zombies. That's true. Someone could get bitten and die in those twenty I mean, minutes. So maybe the the smart I mean, I would, thing I would, is just. I would normally never ever recommend that. <laughs> but in that one scenario of a zombie apocalypse. You would that say might just be the time. jump in the, you know yeah. what? You might be right. If there's a zombie apocalypse, forget it. Just jump in the cargo area and as go. As many people as you can better. squeeze in there and then just hit the, <laughs> hit the, hit the road. And just go. Yeah. You're out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a yeah. 20 minute head start on the zombies. That That's could be a worth lot. a lot. Because they always say they shamble, but then you watch some zombies well, it, are really fast depending yeah, on your d- zombie lore. Yes. It, yeah. It depends entirely on the zombies. I mean, right? if you got fast zombies, you know, like trouble. World War Z. You, yes. you want that 20 minutes. You so don't like want to be walking, walking dead zombies. Like the ones when I watched walking dead, when it was new. So I don't know if they changed, but the walking dead zombies that truly shamble, you might be able to get the seats up world war Z zombies. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk. So in pricing, I figure we should talk pricing while we're talking zombies. <laughs> so this is, um, as equipped, 
This one is $50,880. So it's not outrageous, but it's not inexpensive either. And it does have like, this is the everything version. You know what I mean? You've got the leather seats, you've got, there's like heated front, front row seats, a heated steering wheel. You've got tri-zone climate control. You know, you have a nice, you have like a 12.3 inch, I think digital instrument cluster a nice, I think it's nine inch um, infotainment touchscreen. So you, you wireless charging, you get all the bells and whistles for that. But it is, you know, I think when you get most plug-in hybrids, you, and especially if you get to the top, you do start hitting that $50,000 point. That's not really that unusual. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, when I drove the the standard gas engines outlander, yeah, I, I quite liked it. You know, I yeah. mean, it's, it's the same platform that's under the, uh, the rogue. It's the same right. wheelbase, same length and everything. Yeah. And it, it drives really well. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, it's not the the plug-in hybrid is not listed on fueleconomy.gov yet. Really, and it's funny because I literally got a Monroney that's half a Monroney that doesn't have the fuel economy part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that may be why you only got half. Maybe that's why. Maybe the other half doesn't exist for some yeah. reason. <laughs> but but according to the uh, the press release, the overview press release from yeah. last September when they launched it, yeah, um, it uh, it has a twenty kilowatt hour battery pack, which is a pretty good sized battery pack for a plug-in yeah. hybrid like this. Uh, that gives 38 miles of electric driving range um, and gets uh, 64 miles per gallon equivalent combined um, and combined plug-in plus gas operation or plug-in plus hybrid operation. That's good. So, yeah. Oh, and you know what's something else worth mentioning on this? So a lot of plug, I'm going to forget the names of all the different plugs, but I feel like you're going to know the J's oh, and yes. all of that. Okay. So the standard plug-in hybrids can't most of them can't accommodate DC fast charging. They don't have the right kind of connector. <laughs> this does. This accommodates DC sort fast of. charging, sort of like, but it's still better than like, because if you go to one and you can't, like if you have a plug-in hybrid and someone's using the one outlet that's, what is it? J, there's a name for it. There's J1772. Is that the one I'm thinking that's, of? That's the standard. That's the, that's the North American standard. So if it doesn't, if you just have, if you have like the average plug-in hybrid, like my Wrangler, yeah. you can't plug it in unless that like a lot of them, there's four different, you know, chargers. Only one of them has the plug that will work with this. If you have the fast charging on the other, you can't use the fast charging plug. You're literally out of luck. This one, you're not out of luck. Yeah, this is the 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 Outlander is the only plug-in hybrid in the US market that has support for DC fast charging. Yeah. And they for some reason, they opted to go with the Chatamo connector on there. Yeah. Instead of using a CCS connector, the the, the combined charging standard. Right. Um and so you actually have two plugs in two two outlets on there. Mm-hmm. One is the the J seventeen seventy two, which is just the it's the top part of the CCS connector, right? Um, for the AC uh, charging, and then for DC charging, it's got the Chatamo connector. So it's the same it's the same setup that was that's on the Leaf. Yes. Um, but Nissan, which is the only other company besides Mitsubishi that has ever used Chatamo in North America. Is it really? Uh, They're yeah. the only ones. And it's, it's, it's a Japanese. Associate... It's a Japanese standard. I associated it with the Leaf, but I never made the connection. That yeah. Literally, they're the only ones that do it. Okay. Yeah, and so um, even you know, for the Aria, Nissan has gone away from Chatamo. For for the Aria, they're they're doing whatever the local standard is in whichever market the vehicle is being sold in. Which so if you buy sense. an Aria, yeah, if you buy an Aria in Japan, you get a Chatamo connector. If you buy an Aria in Europe, you get a CCS Type Two, which is their their variant. And in North America, you get the CCS Type One, which is what everybody else uses. Yeah. But for some reason, Mitsubishi decided to stick with Chatamo 
um, on this one, which, it, you know, it, it, Chatamo, you know, has some advantages, but, um, you know, it's limited to 50 kilowatts, but for a 20 kilowatt hour battery pack, yeah, right. that, that doesn't, it's, you know, I feel like it's not really so much it. that you're going to be like, you're looking like, oh, I got to charge fast and get on your way. Because if you want to get on your way, just fill it with gas. You know what I mean? It yeah. has, a, it has a gas tank. I just think it's nice that if you want to, you know, get a extra juice, your chances of being able to find a charger to do it are greater than they are in a typical plug-in hybrid. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're on a family road trip mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you're stopping to do a lunch break anyway, and there happens to be a Chatamo connector there, exactly. yeah, you, you might as well, you know, plug it in, right? You know, get another 38 miles of electric range before you start running on gas again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think most people are probably not ever going to use that Chatamo connector. They're just going to plug could, it home. Sam, they But they could, Sam. They could. They absolutely could. And that's a good thing. <laughs> it's there. Yes. When that whole zombie apocalypse thing happens and you need every bit of juice you can get, you'll be yes. glad you could plug it to the Chatamo for an extra 30 miles of electric range. <laughs> Except, again, we get back to the timing there. Do you really want to be sitting around for 20 minutes or half an hour but charging that battery up? Maybe you're on a, a spot that is like you're in the middle of a Walmart parking lot and you can see there are no zombies nearby. Take every little bit of juice you can get. Like, okay, okay. we're going to top it off. Like, oh, wait, there's zombies. Unplug. Woo. And they run. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That works. <laughs> oh, and what uh, do you think? I know Robbie's not here, but what do you think the destination was? Uh, I am going to say 1095. Oh, you're really low. Really? Was yeah. It, oh, was it like 1500, 1700? 1345. Wow. Okay. This is pretty pricey. Yeah. So, sounds sounds like it's a good vehicle though if you're looking for, you know, uh, you know, a crossover, you know, for a modest sized family, you know, not yeah. not necessarily, you know, a humongous family, but you know, if yes. you got if you got two or three kids, you know, this could be a, a useful uh, hauler to to haul the kids around, do road trips, whatever. I think exactly. I think it's you know, I think it's a it is a solid little cross SUV slash crossover. You get that little bit of electric range. It's great for people who are again. I like plug in hybrids because they give you a chance to say what's it like living with an electric vehicle without the the anxiety of oh gosh I only have an electric vehicle because people are nervous about it who've never owned one before and you how hard is it going to be to live with them what's it like get used to plugging in your car still have your backup as you know gas is backup and this isn't an outrageous price for how it's equipped that's a reasonable price it's comfortable to me you just gotta you gotta think of it as a two row don't think of it as a three row people that's the only caution I have on this. Yeah, and that thirty miles, as long as you plug it in every night. Oh which yeah, you absolutely should do. If you're if you're if you're going to buy a plug-in hybrid, you need to plug charger. it in. Plug it in every night. If you're yeah. if you don't plan to charge it daily, then just don't even bother. Just buy to buy something else. It's not worth it. You have to. If you're, you're spending like, a you're lot gonna, of extra money and yeah. carrying carrying around several hundred pounds of battery that you're not yep. using. You're killing your fuel but, economy. Now you have a plug-in hybrid that is hurting you, not helping you because you're just carrying gigantic batteries around, like having a dead weight in your car and you're never taking advantage of them. Right. So, but yeah. if you do plug it in, now you're getting that 38 miles, which for the vast majority of people is going to allow you to do all your driving on electricity. And yep. it'll be like having, like you said, like having an EV. And then when it is time for that road trip or, you know, escaping the zombies, you know, then, you know, you just keep going. You, exactly. you, don't, have, you don't have to stop every 38 miles to, to charge it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm a big plug-in hybrid fan. I think it's a great happy medium for people in general. I feel like that's the step. Like, you know, everyone kind of got just a regular hybrid and that was all that really was out there. Plugins were like 
no one, they were like, they just didn't really exist for the most part. And then all of a sudden regular hybrids and those were new and scary. And then you drove that, you're like, Hey, this is actually okay. Now like, okay, next step people go for a plug-in hybrid. <laughs> we'll, we'll gradually get you to EVs, just baby steps. You'll get there. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, okay. I had, uh, I had a, a, a double booking last week. Okay. Um, so I had first off the Rivian R1 S, uh, and I had a launch edition, uh, but you know, pricing, uh, I think the, the price for the launch edition is slightly higher, but, uh, basically if you equip it, you know, essentially the same as what I had, um, it comes out to $99,000. <gasps> Ouch. That's expensive. <laughs> um, so the R1S is uh, a little shorter than the R1T, which we which I drove last year. So the R1T is the pickup. The R1S is a three-row SUV. Uh, it's about uh, seven. I think it's about a foot shorter overall okay. and a little bit shorter wheelbase. But um, the the second row, it's a three-row, um, and it's almost exactly the same size as the uh, Jeep grand cherokee l so the, the oh. three-year-old version of the grand cherokee so it's pretty big there's lots it, of room yeah it's a, it's a good size vehicle um and the because the the way they've configured the interior because you don't have the bed back there they've actually you, you can actually move the second row seat back a little bit and have more room in the second row than you do in the r1t because the r1t obviously you've got the bulkhead there you know for the bed so you can't move the second row seat the second row seat in the in the R1S are adjustable. So if you're only using the first two rows, you can move those second rows, the second row seats back and have a ton of rear leg room. It's like you know, riding in a in say, oh, a Genesis G90. Um but without, <laughs> the, but without the but without the Ottoman, uh without the foot Ottoman. Um and then if you're using the third row, you can scooch the the second row seats up a few inches. And I got I climbed into the third row of the R1S and I was, I was able to be comfortable back there. Unlike in the, uh, the outlander, you know, I could sit reasonably comfortably back there and still have enough room in the second row that I could have also sat in the second row. Um, so it's not like you're taking away all the second row leg room in order to have the third row. So, so it's, it's a, it's a good usable three row vehicle. Um, and of course, you know, it's Rivian, so it's electric. Yeah. Um, right now, they, they're still only selling the four motor version, which is the same as what you get um, with the R1T. So it's like 830 horsepower, I think, something like roughly uh, mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so it is stupidly quick. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then, as I said, I think for a lot of people, you know, this may be a, a more useful option than to pick up uh of course you don't get the gear tunnel but you don't need it either because you can fold down the third row seats you've got lots of space for all your stuff in the back mm-hmm. um the basically from the b pillar forward so from the front seats forward it's exactly the same as the r1t uh so you have the same frunk uh which means you also have the same issue i had with that one which is the the front fascia Unlike on the uh, F-150 Lightning and and, right. and the upcoming Silverado and Sierra and, and also on the Hummer, the front fascia is fixed in place, which means oh, the you, front, have to... you have to lift over. 
Uh, oh, that would so be awkward. It, it can be. It depends. Depends what you're loading in there. If you've got heavy stuff that you're going to put in there, it will be a little. It's going to be a little more awkward. And how you definitely that? how like how tall is the in my head now? I'm thinking F one fifty Only Robbie could reach over if it was it, made that a, way. It's about um, a little less than five feet tall. Okay. So, I mean, you would, you would be, you would be able to reach in and, and put stuff in there. So, I mean, it's not okay. ridiculously high, okay. not, assuming, you know, that, that the suspension, the air suspension is set it's in park up. mode. You, <laughs> if you, if you put it in off-road mode, so you're up at like 15.9 inches or 15, I'm not gonna 15 be able, would inches. I, would I really not be able to reach in, do you think? You, five, six? you would probably have a hard time okay. uh, at that point. I okay. mean, it, it's going to be very awkward. Let's put it that Got way. Got it. Fair enough. You, you could probably get stuff over, but reaching in to grab in. stuff, yeah, it's going to be really awkward. Lob it into the front. Wee. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that that's an issue with both the S and the T. Um, yeah. But aside from that, you know, the trunk, it's still a very usable space. I think it's about 11, 11 and a half cubic feet. So a little bit smaller than what you get in the F-150, uh, mm-hmm. but still very, very much usable. Uh, I mean, you can put several carry on bags in there, you know, duffel bags or all kinds of gear, you know, whatever, whatever you want in there. So lots of space to, to put your stuff in there. Um, for the most part, the driving experience is pretty similar to the R1T. Um, there, you know, in the, uh, what, nine months since I drove the pickup, um, there've been a number of software updates and a number, you know, some pretty substantial improvements, um, the infotainment system has gotten more responsive. The driver plus ADAS system is definitely better than it was before. Um, you know, it's still a hands-on system. It's not a hands-free system yet. Uh, it may be at some point in the future. They do actually have an infrared driver monitor camera that's in there um, that that they can use. So if they go hands-free, they can make sure you keep your eyes on the road. That's does it thing. do does it do anything right now? Is the camera no. is it sort of just it's it's just like there it's just, they just decide there. to do it? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think they've indicated that at some point they will do that. But right now it's a hands-on uh driver assist system. I mean you can take your hands off for like 10 seconds or something before it starts warning before you. Before it beeps you and it's like, hey, yeah. pay attention. That's not what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the hands-on feature works quite well. It does a good job of tracking the lanes. Um, one one issue I had with it was, you know, for example, uh, with Super Cruise, when I was driving the, the Hummer the week before, mm-hmm. um, when you change lanes, you tap on the, the turn signal to initiate a lane change uh, or just do a lane change manually. You steer over into the the adjacent lane and then as soon as the vehicle is centered up in the in the steering wheel as long as you haven't hit the cancel button or anything like that as soon as you get centered up back in the lane again it will automatically resume lane centering so you don't you don't have to do anything else right so once once it finds the the new lanes lane markings it will take over and allow you to take your hands off the wheel again okay this one if you um uh, if you tap the turn signal, um, or if you uh, you know just man you steer without uh, signaling your lane change, um, it will cancel the uh, the, um, the the lane centering system, and then you have to do a double tap on the right steering column stock, uh, which yeah. is also your shifter, um, to, in order to reinitiate the the lane centering. It's it's a minor thing. But you know, it, it's, a, still... it's 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 a little bit of an annoyance. Yeah. The bigger annoyance for me 
yes. is Rivian's approach to the HMI in general, where essentially they have replicated what Tesla does, which is no buttons on the dash at all. Mm. Um, you know, you you it's all in the center touchscreen. You do have a an instrument cluster display, um, unlike the, the Model Three or Model Y. Uh, the Model S and the X do have an instrument cluster as well. So you've got the big. 14 inch center display and the instrument cluster display. And then you've got um, two roller wheels on the steering column or on the steering wheel and, and then side rockers on a, um, surrounding that. So, and those are unmarked uh, because oh. they, they do multiple functions depend. It, it's mode sense mode. It's contextually I sensitive. I do not like that. I, I don't like that either. You know, I, I think, always find it a challenge. It yeah. Just... Trying to remember. I mean, I think, over time, you would you would get used to you know depending on what mode the thing is in, what yeah. it's doing. I mean, sometimes it's going to be you know on the right on the right rocker, it's going going to adjust the speed for your cruise control. Um, you know that other times it might be doing something else. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit of an annoyance, but um, you know it it's something I wish that they hadn't done. You know that they would just have some some more dedicated controls. Yeah. Um and and also for the uh the climate control having you know dedicated climate controls. Now, granted the climate controls are per, you know they're permanently displayed on the screen. So there there's a strip along the bottom that's got your you know some your menu, you know and your climate you can right. adjust your your temperatures and stuff there. But still you have to look at it to hit the touch targets. It's not like reaching out to to twist a knob. Yeah. Um the other main annoyance I have with it is um the Alexa voice services for the voice control. It was really? very yeah, it was very hit and miss uh for me in terms of understanding what I wanted it to do and then sometimes with the response like using it uh to put in a navigation destination, you know, I would say, you know, Alexa sorry about that for anybody that happens to have an Alexa in the room while you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> Ma- Madame A, uh, navigate to Michigan Stadium, you know, as an example. And it would just kind of say, you know, it would seem like it was doing something and then it wouldn't actually bring up the route. So I'm not That's sure if weird. the problem is actually in the, the the voice service part of it or somewhere else in the stack. Yeah. But it was kind of hit and miss sometimes. Huh. Climate control, it Sometimes it worked okay if I told it to set the temperature to a specific temperature, um, then it would do that. If I said, you know, I'm cold, or if I if I would say if I said I'm cold, it would make it warmer. Um, if I said, you know, raise or just you know increase the temperature, then some, it wouldn't work. I mean, it was just you know a bunch of it was inconsistent. Was I was problem. gonna say it sounds like when it works, it works, and when it doesn't, it doesn't, which exactly. makes it frustrating. Yeah. This inconsistency. I wonder why it's so hard to get it. Because normally things you're like, they all kind of sort of you have a certain level of like, okay, it all functions at this 75% of what I want or 90% of yeah. what I want. This is like it was all over the place. Yeah, it was. Um, and then of course, you know, Rivian, like Tesla, uh, does not have uh support for Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Um, they have several apps built in. So they've got TuneIn, Spotify, um, built in. And how um, much does that bug you? When, like, is that something you, like when you don't have Apple CarPlay or Android Auto that it really bothers you? Or do you get used to whatever the car has instead? I find it annoying in part because um, 
usually whatever substitute voice control system they have mm. is annoying me like Alexa was <laughs> in this one. Um, and I've, I'm, I find myself much less annoyed by Android Assistant or Google okay. Assistant. Um, you know, so that and and I also I like the interface better. Okay, um, that's fair. But, I get you know, I get frustrated by it too. I like to yeah. have I like to have I, I use Apple all the time, so I Siri yeah, frustrates me far less than than uh, what they normally have as an alternative to Siri and to uh, Android Auto. So and and with with almost you know almost all other vehicles now, you know you have the choice. So drivers can pick what they want to use. If they want to use the the factory system, they mm-hmm. can do that. If they want to use the um, the um, uh, you know Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, they can use that. You know what? So they can they have the choice to do what they want. Whereas you know Rivian has made the choice, and man, if you don't like it, too bad. Suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, ride quality. Um, I thought felt actually felt better. You know, it's hard. It's hard to say for sure without driving it back to back with the R1T I drove, but yeah, the R1T felt a little stiff. This one definitely seemed a little more comfortable to drive okay uh, than the r1t did um and uh you know it's still very very quick uh quicker than anybody really needs um are and most then, cars these days quicker than what very, anyone's really very true. <laughs> um and then the um the other issue is like the r1t the r1s is not particularly efficient uh energy efficient really um yeah uh i averaged 1.8 miles per kilowatt hour um you know and there it's not like it you know it was i mean it was cold but it wasn't snowing or anything you know so i had heat on but uh it was not uh you know it wasn't wasn't any kind of particularly bad weather um other than you know just normal winter weather here um so it was it was not particularly efficient now the one i had had the 20 inch wheels with all-terrain tire package on there which does um, degrade the uh, the range a bit um, with the uh, if you go with the standard wheels, uh, I think you get about 310 miles of range uh, EPA estimated range with with the ones that I had, it's 289. And okay. I don't think I was actually I wasn't getting quite that quite that good. Uh, it was a little bit less than that. It was probably closer to about 250 uh, is what I would have gotten, which, you know, given I had to heat on, you know, it was fine. But for a vehicle with 130 kilowatt hour battery pack, you know, it's not terribly impressive. It's not great. Yeah. Is this, is, why do you think, is it because and, of the weight? Is it one of those vehicles yeah, that it's, just it's, weighs it's, so it's, much? It's, it's heavy. Um, you know, I did drive it in conserve mode most of the time. So, you know, you've got multiple driving modes. There's off-road modes and all-terrain modes and snow and stuff. And the conserve mode um, actually uh, disengages. There's a, uh, there's clutches on the rear axle to decouple the rear wheels from the rear motors. So they're not dragging. Okay. Um, so basically it operates as a front wheel, 400, uh, 420 horsepower um, front wheel drive SUV when you put it in conserve God. mode. Uh, <laughs> and uh, wow, that's, that's, the most, that's the most efficient <laughs> mode. Um, but uh, you know, it's still not particularly efficient. Um, oh, one thing that that is definitely another thing that is definitely better than when I drove the R1S last year is the way the regen braking works. How so? Um, one one of the complaints I had about the R1T was when the battery is full um, and you have strong regen turned on. Um, basically, you know, at that point, the battery can't really absorb 
any extra energy. And so, uh, you know, it just says, well, I'm sorry, I can't do regen right now until you've depleted the battery by at least a few percent. So what happens is, you know, when you drive away with a full charge um, and then you lift off the accelerator, expecting some strong regen, you don't get any. You don't get it. Um, Now it does that. Um, And I think what they're doing is they're probably blending in some friction brakes, which is what other manufacturers do is if your battery is full and it can't absorb the energy, fine. You know, whatever it's going to respond to, whatever you're doing with the pedal and give you mm-hmm. the amount of decel you expect, right? By whichever mechanism it can, whether if it can do regen, great. If not, then it'll just use the friction brakes, and which makes sense. Okay. And, you know, so it's more consistent. And so it does that now. So that's definitely a big improvement. Um, so all in um, $99,000 uh, for this one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not an inexpensive truck. Um, the starting price for the adventure, the R1S adventure starts at $78,000. Um, but you can't actually buy that one right now. Uh, cause that's, that's with the, the dual motor, um, and the standard battery pack. Um, yeah. Oh, the, the paint, the paint color I had, the, yes. um, El Cap granite, that yes. was a $2,500 option. Was it that cool? Was it worth $2,500? No, not really. I mean, it's gray. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. It <laughs> so was it's not a nice gray, but it's still gray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but is there you, a not, is there a not extra add on price gray? The, I yes. Wonder? The, the, you know? uh, the LA silver. Um, so dark L cap granite is a darker gray. L cap silver is the one color you get for free. Um, okay. The glacier white is 1750. Um, and all the other colors, red, blue, um oh sorry the the limestone is also 1750 uh the rivian blue the green um the l cap granite and the yellow are all 2500 dollars options wow um the uh the standard battery pack um is um uh, is not available yet uh it will be supposedly sometime later this year along with the dual motor uh configuration so right now you can only get the quad motor which is and the large pack, which is $6,000 extra, um, and then assorted other options. That's a Um, lot. But all all in, this one was about $99,000. That's a lot of money. It is. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, the other car that I had yes. was the 2023 Genesis G90 3.5T e-supercharger all-wheel drive, which I think is even longer than the name of... Of, uh, of my car. You beat it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the the the... G90 is all new for 2023 model year. Great looking car. I mean, if you're looking for a big luxury sedan, this is, a, I think, a, one of the best looking ones out there. It's a beautiful car. It, it really is. is. Yeah. Um, and uh, they all come with, a, uh, there's no longer a V8 option available in the G90. Uh, it's a 3.5 liter twin turbo V6 now. Uh, but there's also an option to add the e-supercharger on there. So um, 
every every G90's got a twin turbo V6. The E supercharger mm-hmm. um, is an electric supercharger. So basically, they have a 48 volt uh, mild hybrid system on here, and the uh, the E supercharger is basically half of a turbocharger. So a turbocharger consists consists of um, two centrifugal wheels on there. There's a turbine um, and there's a shaft. And on the other end of that shaft is a compressor and your exhaust gases flow through the turbine side, spin that up when you're driving. And that spins the compressor, which forces more air into the engine and makes more power. What they've done, what this e-supercharger is, is they eliminate the, the turbine side of that, replace it with a little electric motor. Okay. So it spins up the compressor. Because the, the the problem with uh, turbochargers is you have to get enough exhaust gas flow to spin the thing up to generate boost. So you get what the, what's known as turbo lag. Turbo lag, the good old right. turbo lag. Good old turbo lag. The e-supercharger, because it's electric, it can spin up instantaneously on demand. Uh, so as you press the accelerator pedal, it's starting to crank that thing up and generating boost before the turbos can spin up and generate boost. Um, and it's a smaller compressor. So it's got really low inertia. So it can spin up really fast. Mm-hmm. So it's a little more responsive. It's not much. You don't get much. Did you know, could you notice it. a big difference? Like I, I haven't driven the, the regular one to know okay. a difference, but what I can say is that it felt very responsive. Okay. It, it felt like a bigger <laughs> engine. Um, so with the e-supercharger version, it's 409 horsepower, 405 foot-pounds of torque. The the regular twin turbo is I think 389, you know, so it's like 20 horsepower. So it's not a it's not a huge amount of extra power, but it, the difference is in the responsiveness. Right. Um, you know, and if you uh, they uh the uh Jared from uh, Genesis sent me some material on it and you you see the torque curve and how it just gets up basically to max almost instantly like right away yep. yeah um so it definitely does feel more more responsive than the uh than a normal twin turbo V6 would um besides that this is just a lovely car to spend time in you know beautiful materials lovely leather um and if you are someone who prefers to be driven rather than to do the driving, I mean, I like to drive. And Same. I, I even for a large car, I like driving this thing. Mm-hmm. But if you are somebody who prefers to spend time in the back seat being driven, um, then this is a great car to do that in. Um, and particularly if you're on the passenger side, because what you can do is from the passenger seat, there's controls on the side of the the center console where you can recline your seat, bring up the ottoman. You can also slide the front passenger seat forward, all the way forward and tilt tilt the seat back forward. So you can, you know, get into a lounge in the back. Lounge, lounge back you. there. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if, if that's your thing, um, you know, this is a great place to do it. It's a lovely car to do that in. Um, you know, very comfortable, but also very, um, you know, it doesn't feel soft or or you know floppy or anything as you're driving down um you know curvy roads you know it it's it feels very responsive um it is typical of what we've come to expect from genesis over the last seven or eight years you know along with the rest of the hyundai motor group um just really well executed across the board Uh, like i said first class materials the leather is nice and soft and plush um, but you know, the front seats, the driver's seat, you know, get still 
nice and supportive. Um, you know, so it'll hold you in place while you're going through those down those curvy back roads. Mm-hmm. Um, Napa, you know, the Napa leather, um, uh, heated everything, uh, massaging seats, the uh, massaging heated seats. everything. That's my kind of everything. I just wanted to glow like the inside of a toaster. That's what um, I want. <laughs> yeah. And, and the ambient lighting, you know, when it's dark, you know, you get this purple ambient lighting that looks, that looks really pleasant in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, uh, Nice big, uh, or, let's see, was it 12? Uh, yeah, 12 and a half inch, 12.3 inch HD screen uh, in there. Uh, it's touch, but there's also um, uh, a center controller. So, you know, it, both of us could enjoy our time in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's got support support for wireless Android Auto and CarPlay. There's a heads up display, active noise control. Um, it's got Genesis digital key too. Um, and there's a fingerprint sensor on the, uh, it doesn't have the, the camera for facial facial recognition, like the G60 does or GV60 okay. does, but it does have fingerprint sensor on the dash. So you can, uh, once you program that, you can use that, you know, to wake up the car and start it. Um, and, uh, just. It, it's a did it's you a, try it did you try the fingerprint thing uh i didn't on this one i'd done it previously yeah. on the gv60 and it worked fine you yeah know, I, I didn't bother taking the time to do it on this one yeah um but you know you got wireless chargers for your for your mobile devices um carpeted floor mats all all the goodies um, all the stuff that you would expect all the stuff you would expect at this price point which um is uh also about what the uh, rivian went for which is one hundred thousand three hundred and seventy dollars. Um, Do you, you think to... it's worth one hundred thousand three hundred and seventy dollars? You know, if I was shopping in this price segment against, you know, say an Audi A8, uh, BMW 7 Series, Mercedes S Class, um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, as as everything from Hyundai Motor Group tends to be. You know, for whatever segment it's in, it yeah. yeah I mean, it it's not cheap, but I think it's a good value for the type of car that it is. Well, especially for Genesis, because Genesis is a luxury brand. Mm-hmm. It's, there, it's not like it's a Hyundai; it is the luxury branch of the brand. So I think I, I find Genesis vehicles to be absolutely beautiful inside. They're comfortable. They're so quiet. They have that you know that that sort of ensconces you like keeps the outside world outside so that you just feel like you're escaping from everything, whether you're driving or lounging in the back. Um, I tend to really like their vehicles. And I think, like you said, although this is an expensive car, it's not cheap. If you're buying a luxury car, it competes with the other guys. No problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, You want to take a stab at the uh, freight? uh, I'm terrible at this, but I win no matter what, unless I go over. Um, I don't know. Are they really expensive? Or just eleven ninety five? Oh, you went over ten ninety five. Oh, it's so easy. He's not even here, and I still. We were lose. just talking. We were just talking about value. And- I know. Well, I was. I was. It's this stupid third. I'm like, well, this one was thirteen ninety five, and it's a luxury vehicle, so I'll make it a little less. Uh, Should have gone lower. Should have gone lower. Yes. Dang it! Shaking my fist at the sky. <laughs> um, and the uh, the G ninety three point five T E supercharger all wheel drive is EPA rated at seventeen city twenty four highway twenty combined. Uh, I got about eighteen, but yeah, you know, again, it was cold. Um, yeah. And I had, yeah. You know, uh, so. Wintertime, you know, you're generally going to get a little bit less. I think, you know, yep. if I was driving it in the summertime, it would probably be better. closer to 20. Yeah, you do a little so. better. Yep. All right. 
Um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, oh, okay. So in addition to the uh, the Outlander, uh, you went to uh, uh, someplace to drive something last week. I did. I drove. Uh, let's see. Is it Sam talking about? Actually, it was the week before. I was going to say, it's not last week. Don't yeah, confuse no, me, Sam. a couple Sam. weeks ago. Um, I went to Asheville, North Carolina, where it was like really beautiful, but really cold. I don't know why it was cold and rainy. That's not what I expect down there. But it was uh, terrible weather, but a beautiful drive anyway in the Dodge Hornet, um, which is not like the old Hornet. And, you know, oh, you tarnished the name of Hornet forever. Just cool your jets, all you classic car people. Sometimes well, cars do you, come Do you remember the last car name. that was named a Hornet? I, oh, I've been told a thousand times, like, it's come, this, the, dog, the Hornet was originally this. But I get these very, like. No, <clears> the, <throat> the last Hornet we had was the AMC Hornet. Oh, was that it? Yeah, from the they're 19. List, they're uh, listing some other Hornet. Early 80s, it went There's out of some other Hornet. Some other guy was listing some other Hornet. Maybe it was an older Hornet. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But, but so yeah, everybody's all every the phrase I want to use, I'm not going to use. Everyone is very disappointed. I don't I don't think I don't think they had anything to worry about as far as tarnishing the name of the AMC Hornet. Wait, is there was there a Hudson Hornet? Oh yeah, but that was back in the 1950s. Yeah. Okay. So the guy at Twitter, I'm pointing to the phones, so yeah. is yelling at me. The Hudson Hornet is a full-size automobile that's manufactured by Hudson Motor Car of Detroit from 1951 to 1954. Thanks. Thanks. Let me that's be more specific. It was Hudson Motor Car of Ypsilanti. They were built oh, nice. right here in the town where Ooh. I live. I want to well actually him. Well, actually, I'm, it's really <laughs> tempting, but I won't. Um, but but they, you know, Hudson went out of business in like 1958, I think, or 59. Nice. But how dare they use the name? It's the weirdest thing. People are very upset about the fact that it's called a Hornet. And people are very upset about the fact that it's like, it's not a muscle car. It's not a straight up muscle car from Dodge. But that's not what they were building. They wanted to build a little sporty crossover mm-hmm. um, that still kind of looks, it has, I mean, it looks like a crossover, but you can see the Dodge in it. You know, if you look at the hood and stuff, you can see the Dodge styling in it. I don't think it's this horrific departure from the brand, given that it's a very different car compared to the Charger or the Challenger. I mean, you, yeah. you, you look at it and it looks like a five, eight scale Durango. Yeah. So it, it fits like it fits in there. You're like, I can see how this fits within the brand's design aesthetic. It, it works. Um, driving it. You have, Two engine options. There's a gas engine and there is also a plug-in hybrid. And we did most of the time that we were driving, we were in the gas-powered engine, which is, I'm losing everything here. This is what happens when you rush to a podcast from a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so the gas powertrain is nice and responsive. It's fine. It does really well. It handled really well. Like, I was surprised. I, I don't know why I didn't have great hopes for it. I think it's for handling only because, like, the charger doesn't like corners. Challenger does not like corners. They want to go in a straight line. You put them in a twisty and they're like, no, please don't. Like there's very straight line cars. So I don't know what I expected from this, but it delivered. Like I thought it handled really beautiful. I thought it handled really nicely. We had these very twisty turning roads that we went on outside of Asheville. Um, You know, the kind that if you have a nice car to drive are fun to drive. If you have a not nice car, they're going to, they're going to be a chore to go back and forth like that. I found it very fun to drive. Um, We also did the, uh, plug-in hybrid, the plug-in hybrid is funner. It has a good bit more horsepower. It's got a little bit more oomph to it. It's got better hand. It just all together felt more hunkered down. I think the way the little battery changes how it feels a little bit. You can feel a little bit of difference to it. Uh, if I was going to buy this, I would go for the hybrid, 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 hybrid. It was, it was, it's not just because I'm a plug-in hybrid fan. I liked how this one drove better. Um, inside, 
It's comfortable. It looks very Dodge. It still has Dodge styling. Nothing is like finessed and fine and delicate. It's sort of got that bolder, bigger, larger kind of, you know, brotherhood of muscle kind of vibe happening. Um, I did like, they called it a track package, either track pack or track package that added some extra pop to how it looked inside, including seats that like, it has this suede, that suede Alcantara seat, but it had little perforations in it. And the inside of the perforations was red. So you look inside and you have like black fuzzy seats and there's little red dots peeking through. <laughs> so it looked really neat. Um, I thought that was kind of neat. It, it, it gave it a little bit of extra sort of panache. And I think the Hornet logo is really cute. The little Hornet on the side little, it's like an angry little hornet. I feel like now it's like a law. If you're going to build a Dodge, you have to have some kind of really cool little, little fender badge. Like after they did you the Hellcats and, and stuff. Hellcat, you got Hornet. Next right? year you got Banshee coming. Right. It, like if they tried to do that, like God would strike it down. No, you have offended me. And like, if they don't put that little funky little badge of some kind <laughs> there, that's like a signature thing for them now. Uh, so I liked the Hornet. I, uh, people were hating on it. Like, really hating on the styling and the fact that it wasn't going to be. And they were hating on the fact that the Alfa Romeo Tonale is pretty much theoretically the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the same. Uh, the, the, they, they designed the Tonale and Dodge said, Hey, we like that. Yeah. We want one too. And we'd, so they, they put a like Durango fascia on it and yep. instantly created the Hornet. So people are mad because they're saying it's not a Dodge. It's, it's it's a Tonali. It's an Alfa Romeo. This the look of the two is different. Like the the Dodge looks like a Dodge. The Alpha looks like an Alpha. You can see that there's different styling to it. I read, although I don't know because I've not driven one, that it is that things are tuned a little bit differently in terms of the driving dynamics. So you should feel a little bit of a difference between the two. I don't know how much, and I don't know if the difference is going to make the Dodge feel better or the Alpha feel better in the end, or if it's really going to depend on how you like to drive. But, you know, a lot of companies have vehicles that are badged differently for different brands within their lineup, and they just tune things a little differently. It's not outrageous. It's not some craziness like, can you believe? Yeah, I can believe. I can totally believe they did this. Totally believe it. So I like the I like the Hornet. And they said, the one thing, though, they said in the presentation, someone had said that they felt that this was significantly increased. You know, they talk about the kind of customers they talk about who's, who's going to drive our car. Is it going to be the same customer? Are we going to have conquests like people who may have driven a, I don't know, been driving a Ford and suddenly they come over to the Dodge brand. You want those conquest customers, right? What they think they're going to get more of a lot more of are uh, women, because I guess it leans heavily towards men. Really? And they think a lot. Yeah. they. I know it's shocking, right? Yeah. More it, more men than women buy Hellcats. It's it's totally counterintuitive, Sam. I don't know, I, but that's what they say, so I believe them. Um, <laughs> so they say this should like bring in new customers because they think that will bring in more women to the brand, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, expand no. their appeal to new people. So it could change the buyer. But I still think the person who the person who likes Dodge, who likes the way that sort of Dodge feel that sort of that, that the styling, the feel, the look of Dodge and wants to stay with that brand, but can't do that with a, doesn't want the Durango cause it's really, really big. And, you know, I, it's not going to work for a family necessarily have a charger or a challenger. This is a great option. This is a really solid option. I think they did a good job with it. I don't, I don't know the, the, the Dodge fanboy anger toward it was so extreme. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to play out, but I, I did like this overall. You know, I think for those people that, you know, are fans of Dodge muscle cars, you know, look, 
nobody's forcing you to buy this. Right. <laughs> Just it's like buy buy your challenger or your charger. Exactly. You know? I mean, well, I mean, at least while you can, because I mean they're going away at the end of the year. But you know, you you still got time. Buy one of those. And right. even even when those go away, there's gonna be electric dodges that are even faster other things i've I've never understood when people get so mad about a car and it doesn't always happen like you know you'll drive cars like oh i don't like an electric i don't like hybrids i don't like whatever but this was like it was like how dare you good sir put the dodge label on this car i'm like you guys i'll come down you don't have to buy it it's if you if you hate the idea of a crossover with a dodge badge on it so badly then don't buy it go buy another charger or challenger but there's lots of people who like there's a reason they built this crossovers are hot everybody wants a crossover let the majority of people who aren't freaked out by crossovers have a dodge version if they want it <laughs> so um how much range does the plug-in hybrid have electric range i'm not gonna lie i don't know offhand hold on a second i can look it up okay. i felt like it was i felt like it was a reasonable amount of range let's see i'm looking in the i mean when i've talked to them before about the tenali you know, they, they hadn't done the certification yet, but, you know, they were hinting that it would be somewhere around 30 miles. I feel like it was in that range. I don't remember it. Oh, here we go. I got it. Um, it offers, this is saying more than 30 miles. So maybe okay. they don't have an exact number. This is what was in the media kit that they provided. So more than 30 miles of all electric range. So they're probably going to come in with like 31 or something like that. They say more than 30. They're not going to come up with 38, you know? Yeah. So more than 30 miles. Um, and it, it really, it moves. I mean, it's pretty speedy. It's, it's got a zero. I can give you some figures. It's got a zero to 60 of 5.6 seconds for the plugin for the plugin. Um, it has uh, a sport mode. There's three drive modes. Like there's a hybrid and electric and an e-save. So you have that ability to play with like, same as you have on the Jeeps and same as you have in the Jeeps. Um, and it's got a little sport mode so you can put it in sport mode. If you want a little sportierness, sportierness, more sporty handling to it. (laughs) I'm sporty. I like sportierness. I'm going to do that for now on. <laughs> and it has um, 288 horsepower and 383 pound feet of torque. So the thing on that is to look at the 288 horsepower is, is a decent amount of horsepower. 383 pound feet of torque is a lot of torque for this little thing. It's it's not a big. And that's that's 88 more than the two liter turbo. Exactly. So there is a jump. There is a jump in there that makes this like you, you do feel the difference. Sometimes you don't feel, depending on how cars are tuned, you don't feel that performance difference. You're like, I don't even know. This one has five more horsepower, 10 more pound feet of torque, whatever. This one, you feel the difference. You definitely feel it. So that's why I'm a fan of it's because it's 280, those numbers, which are 288 horsepower, 383 pound feet versus 268 horsepower and 295 pound feet. So the horsepower doesn't go up much, but that torque, yeah, baby, that makes a difference. So um, looking at the the Dodge website, the the Hornet GT with the two liter turbo starts at twenty nine nine ninety five. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have the plug in listed on here yet. Uh, I think that they're not quite ready. Like it's not quite not not quite available yet. Did they give any indication of what the pricing is going to be on the plug in hybrid? Um, I don't, you know what I'm looking at this kit that I have and I don't recall there being pricing listed for this one. It may have been, and I may have misplaced it. I'm sorry, guys. I'm super right. unprepared today. So, yeah, um, well, they may, they, it's possible they may not have announced it yet. Yeah. Um, they, you know, and for, for 30 grand for the, the base Hornet with that two liter turbo and all wheel drive is actually a pretty good price, you know, compared to, you know, what's out there in the competition. Mm-hmm. That's it's not a not a bad place to start. It's, it's not a bad place to start. It's it's priced 
like within the realm of that kind of car, the pricing is affordable. But Dodge, you know, the only time really when Dodges get crazy expensive is when you're getting crazy cars. Yeah. You're buying yourself a Hellcat. You want to not buy a Hellcat version of the Challenger or Charger. You can get a really reasonably priced one. You want to buy yourself a Hellcat? You better be prepared to plunk down some money. So it's only the really crazy performance versions of their stuff that commands a, like one of those prices. You're like, this is like luxury car pricing to get into some of this stuff because it's not the luxury you're paying for. You're, you're paying for all the power, you know? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's jump to another crossover that was announced this week um, that we actually won't be able to buy here, unfortunately. Which is uh, terrible. Why? It's, it's the it's the Ford Explorer EV. Uh, th- this is not the Explorer that you're used to if you uh, live in North America. Uh, this is a completely different vehicle. This this is Ford of Europe's first purpose-built EV. Um, it's the first of two models that they're going to launch uh, this year that are based on the VW MEB platform. So under the skin, this is basically the same as a, as an ID four or an ID three. Um, but it has completely different styling. Um, this is a small crossover. I was talking to Ford the other day. Um, it's actually a little bit smaller than the escape, but it's bigger than the echo sport, which has now been discontinued. Um, so it's, it's not like it's crazy small. It's actually quite a bit larger than the Jeep Avenger which is also Europe only, Mm -hmm. uh, which we're not going to get. Hopefully, uh, I mean, it would be nice if Ford, you know, would see their way to offering something like this Explorer EV in North America, but I don't think they will. Because they hate us, Sam, they hate us. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's (laughs) it's also, you know, that it's using the the VW platform and, you know, they've said that, you know, that's not something they're going to offer here in North America. It's only for Europe. Um, so this is built you know, at Ford's plant in Cologne, Germany. Uh, but it's a pretty slick looking little vehicle. I- it does look good. This this image on this, I like how this looks a lot. Okay, so one of the things I feel like automakers are trying to figure out is how to make that without a grill, how to make that front look. Yeah. Like just because when it's just like thwap, they put a piece of metal there. Sometimes it looks kind of weird. I really like how they broke that up. Yeah, no, I think they they did a really nice job on this. Um, you know, when you look at it in the profile. You know, the front end is pretty short. Um, it's it's a different kind of profile than you get with the ID4. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's short front overhang, um, fairly short hood. And, you know, like the VWs, there's no front trunk uh, because they've uh, packaged a bunch of stuff up, up in the front there to open up the interior space. Um, but, you know, the interior... Yeah, you know, looks like it's it's pretty room going to be reasonably roomy for the size of vehicle. Like I said, a little bit shorter, a few inches shorter than the Escape, um, and it's got this 15 inch center touchscreen, which is actually movable. So you can have it down lower so and at more of an angle, or you can press a button and have it slide up and be more vertical and up a little bit higher if I, you like. That's I think that's really cool because one of the things with those really large, like the when it's upright, when you look at Sometimes you feel like the big long screens like that just kind of they do sort of kind of they're not really in your way, but they sort of are like they're almost mm-hmm. too high and too big. So to be able to be like, oh, let's tuck that puppy down a little bit. I think that's kind of neat. And, you know, it also when it's when it's down, it hides a little storage area behind it. So you can open it, put it up, you know, to put some stuff in there that you want to keep out of sight and then put the screen back down and. You know, so when you're parked, you know, things things aren't visible to uh, your super secret storage area. Yeah. It, you know, 
think, you know, out of sight, out of mind is always a good thing right. for when you're talking about uh, opportunistic uh, right. miscreants. On Someone the could still break in and smash your screen and steal your stuff, but let's not let them know that there's anything there to begin with. Let's try to exactly. increase they're, our odds. They're, they're, <laughs> you know, if they're walking down the street and they see a car that's got stuff sitting in the console and they see another car that's got nothing there that, that's visible, they're yeah. going to go for the one that they can see because they know yeah. there's something there that might be of value to them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is going to have a, a range of uh, uh, about 250 miles or so um, and uh, goes on sale later this year in Europe. I wish we would get that. I think that would do well here. Do you think it would do well if we got it? I, I, I think so. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that, you know, if if Ford could offer this, you know, at a price point in the and keep in mind, this is similar in size to a Hyundai Kona. Mm-hmm. So if they could offer this for, you know, low thirties, like somewhere between thirty and thirty-five thousand dollars starting price, yeah, I think these things could sell like hotcakes. Oh, it's not like crazy. Yeah, yeah, but they can't call. It, but then it couldn't be the Explorer here because it no, would they, be, they, they could badge it as something else. They got a badge or Explorer. What do they do? It, Explorer Sport. I don't know something smaller, right? Wouldn't be the first time. Like the sport thing. Yeah. It's you like, got Bronco and Bronco Sport, right? Why not Let's Explorer make it the Explorer sport. sport and make it tiny little Kona style thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the last Explorer Sport was a pickup truck, but you know, whatever. Shh, shh. Details. <laughs> you're like you're on your Dodge Hornet thing now. Shh. <laughs> uh, okay. So the other um, MEB based EV that Ford is going to be launching. Um, is now rumored to be called the Capri, um, which is a name that you know, was a long-running name for Ford of Europe. They sold them here for, for quite a long time as well in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, and, um, and then they also brought the name back as a not very good Mazda-based <laughs> uh, Mercury convertible <laughs> in the late '80s and early '90s. Yeah, we won't we won't get into that one. We just get that one. Yeah. What What do you think about bringing back the Capri name for uh, for an EV? Well, I mean, I think it's kind of fun to bring back names, but I think you should bring back names that people liked. Like <laughs> that people. Are you saying I'm people gonna... didn't like the Capri name? Well, I don't know. Did people really like? Was a Capri that was it a really like well was it beloved Sam? Was it, did people's hearts go like, I love my Capri. There were some people that did. Okay. Very, but, like but you know, five? Richard Truitt is weird. So what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't know. I th- I'm fine with them bringing back names. I really don't have a problem yeah. with back names. I don't know this one. Okay. Can I just tell you why it's not my favorite name? You're going to laugh at me and think I'm stupid. All I can think of is Capri Sun. The little drink you stick the little. Spot. That's fair enough. I see that. And in my head, I have images of like Capri Sun commercials. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, I don't want to drive a pouch full of juice. That's yeah. not what I like. I want a, I want well, a car name. I, mean, I don't. Want... This rendering they have on Auto Car, you know, actually looks. You know, it's got kind of a retro shape to it. It, it looks like the the old Capri from the 1970s. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, is pretty. If the, if they do it like this, if they actually build it as a coupe like this, I think that would be pretty cool. Actually, yeah, the little rendering they came up with here is actually kind of nifty looking. That that actually looks pretty good. Yeah. Does not look like a juice pouch. Okay. <laughs> Um, next up, um, the Kia EV5, uh, which is one that we hadn't heard of, heard anything about until this past week. Um, Kia uh, released this as a concept in uh, in China or in Korea. Um, or was it in China? Did they show it in China? It took place uh, in, oh, yeah. China. No, in China. Yeah, yeah. It was China. Yep. They had an EV day. So, yes, it was in China. Yeah. So this 
I like this. I mean, this basically looks like a shorter version of the EV9. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the EV9 last week. Um, you know, this has a lot of the same design language as the EV9, yes. but it's a smaller two row about the size of the Sportage. What do you think? I love it. And I think it totally fits with the what they did for EV9. It's like, okay, how are we going to continue to move the brand? Oh my gosh, the EV5. And it's like this perfect cousin to it. I think it looks great. And I like. I think they need, you know, to have another electric, to have it be a two row. The styling on this is good. And I like the headlights. They still have those funky, they remember the star map headlights they were talking about on the EV9 or the, I guess it's the LED lighting on the side there. The little thing, like an angle and angle and angle. It looks good. It, they kept that little design language for the lights, which I'm a big fan of for whatever reason, yeah. I have a thing for lights. <laughs> no, I think, I think this thing is really cool. And, uh, Hopefully, this is something we'll see here in North America in the next couple of years. Do they imply it was just going to not be us? No, it's going to be for um, us too, right? They didn't. I don't think they really said. I think you know we we might hear more, but we'll certainly have an opportunity to ask about it when we're in New York for the auto show because okay. they're going to be they're going to be doing the uh, North American unveiling of the EV9 at the auto show. So right. we can certainly ask about this one. We can corner someone and ask them, "Hey, great EV9. Yeah. By the but way, James, talk- are you yes, going to bring the EV5 to North America?" Yeah, ask it in front of a whole crowd so he can't just like sidestep you. <laughs> Put him on the spot. <laughs> uh, all right. And then finally, uh, sticking with uh, with the Hyundai Motor Group for a minute. Um, Hyundai is uh, committing to buttons. Yay! Go Hyundai. Go Hyundai. Woohoo! Thank you, Hyundai. Show Rivian how it should be done. Oh, look at that. Look at all. And it's not okay. So it's not like buttons. Like what was the car I hated that had a million buttons? There was a Buick, the Buick Cascada. Was that it? That had like, oh, yes. It looked like a cell phone, like an old school yeah. phone. And there was no, not buttons like that. This, all the things you need, the buttons you want to turn on your AC, to adjust the temperature. That picture is beautiful. That yeah. is what a, that's beautiful. I love it. I wanted that on every car. You can rearrange things a little. You can make your buttons different shapes. That's fine. But give us buttons, people. Yeah, at least at least for the stuff we use all the time. Yeah. You know, the stuff we don't use very frequently, fine. Put those in the in the touchscreen interface. But yeah, the stuff we use all the time, give us physical controls. I think so. there's <laughs> there's a point where the like things worked the way they worked because they worked well. Yes. You know, and it's like you can you can you can make this better. We can make this all super high tech. All you just slide things around and touch screens and touchpad can you know, like the touchpad control. Remember the touchpads like in the Lexus and mm-hmm. all everything's touch like. This does not work when you're driving, like does not work. Works at my desk with a mouse does not work driving, not having buttons again, works on things where I don't have to focus on driving a car at the same time. Otherwise give me buttons so I can just bash a button. I don't have to look away. I can feel third button over is what I'm looking to for one, two, three ping. There it is. And then finally, um, the other day I went down to uh, Memphis um, and we, Ford took us out to Stanton, Tennessee, which is uh, northeast of Memphis, um, uh, where they are in the process of building a new factory, uh, their first greenfield assembly plant uh, since 1969, when they opened up their Kansas City plant where they built the transit. Um, They built other new plants, but, you know, on existing sites, like the, the current Rouge truck plant is, you know, was built on the site of the Rouge factory. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is their first all new assembly plant on an all new site. And next door to it is a battery plant. So they're going to, this is where they're going to be building uh, what they're referring to as project T3. So this is their next generation electric truck. 
Okay, I'm all in with the electric truck, but I'm see I'm telling you as a nerd when I saw T3, do you know what I immediately thought of? No. The Terminator. T3. Oh. That was the Terminator movie. I'm like, so you're you're literally building the Terminator. <laughs> That's all I can see when I see T3 and I'm I'm betting Maybe. that there's more than one sci-fi nerd geek out there was like, "What? They called it T3?" I- well, this is this is only an internal code name. Uh, it's not that's not actually what they're going to call it. This I don't is, know that that makes it better. Our code name, wink, wink. We're not building anything <laughs> that's going to take over the world. Sure, you aren't Ford. Well, T three stand actually stands for trust the truck. So maybe that's even worse. I I, I think you're just you, digging you the wanna... hole deeper. <laughs> trust the truck. The truck is your friend as it becomes part of the evil empire that overtakes the world and kills us all, along with the zombies. <laughs> So, um, you know, I had a chance to chat with Jim Farley and with Lisa Drake a little bit about this, uh, this, this vehicle and the factory. And they gave us a tour around the site, um, both each the, uh, the battery factory and the assembly plant are each going to be about 3 million square feet. Um, and then, you know, they've got a 3,600 acre site where they're going to have suppliers coming in and setting up shop on the site as well. Um, doing all kinds of interesting stuff. There's, um, they have their own on-site utility plant. Um, they're going to be doing geothermal power. They're not going to be using. They're not going to be bringing in any fresh water for use in the production processes. It's all captured water, captured rainwater, and recycled water. Um, uh, all uh, all carbon-free power. So they're getting hydroelectric power from the Tennessee Valley Authority, um, cool. and uh, so. They're they're trying to keep the whole thing as as green as possible. Um, the the truck itself, they're not telling us a whole lot about it right now. Lisa Drake did confirm. Lisa is the uh, vice president of uh, electric vehicle industrialization, so she's basically in charge of building EVs at Ford. Uh, and so uh, she did confirm that this truck is going to be part of the F series family. So it's not. It's not oh. going to be like a, a separate line, um, like Ranger or Maverick. It's going to be part of the F series family. So it's another wait, but they have a Lightning. So they how does well, that work? Keep in mind, you know, this doesn't go into production until twenty twenty five. Oh, so and it's the okay. the current generation F series launched at the end of twenty twenty. It's they're usually on like a five year, four or five year product cycle. So there's probably going to be a new F series coming out in 2025, roughly yeah. that time frame. Now, what happened? You know, the the Lightning didn't launch until 2022. What's probably going to happen because uh, is that they're probably going to launch a new regular gas F-150 around mm-hmm. 2025. Yeah, build that and at the Rouge and um, at. Um, forget the other plant where they build it now uh i think kansas city yeah kansas city uh maybe or somewhere anyway they're gonna gonna build those there i think they're gonna it sounds like they're going to continue because they didn't they didn't they said they did not say that this new truck is going to be a direct replacement or an immediate replacement for the lightning they uh i think they're going to continue building the lightning as it is today probably at least through 2026, you know, maybe call it lightning classic or something, you know. But, oh yeah. That would be good. Yeah. I can see that. Um, and, and so it's going to overlap for at least some period of time yep. with the new truck uh, because, you know, you're talking about launching an all new vehicle on a new platform in a new plant, new, ba- new assembly plant, new battery plant. 
Um, they're saying the the way they're designing this truck, it's designed unlike the Lightning, which is a derivative of the F1, the standard F-150. This is designed from the ground up as an electric truck. So it's an all new platform, all new electrical and electronic architecture, um, going to be fully updatable. Um, they're saying it's going to be much more aerodynamic, um, but they're not really giving us any hints, you know, about what it's going to look like yet. Um, I think at some point it will gradually replace the F-150 or, or the Lightning, I should the say. The Lightning. Well, that makes sense, too, because the Lightning, like you say, the Lightning didn't come out with the last generation of the F-150 kind of came out on its own. So that lets them do a little overlap yeah. and then say, we're going to launch our new F-150 and like, wait, we got a new Lightning or something, you know, some other. Yeah. So um, then and this new plant is going to have capacity for up to 500,000 vehicles a year, which is going to be like in terms of capacity, their, their largest plant in the entire Ford. What's the, what's network. the, like the Rouge plant or one of those, do you the know Rouge what their plant capacity can do, is? Rouge can do about 350, I think. So that's a huge, a I was just trying to like yeah. how much different, that's a huge difference. Okay. But they're, you know, in terms of number of vehicles they can produce per square foot, they've actually reduced it by about 30% for the new plant because They've because they've designed it from the ground up as an EV, they've been able to simplify a lot of things, simplify a lot of processes, yeah. simplify the vehicle. It's not as complex to build. One of the things that Farley mentioned in his speech was that, you know, right now for standard F-150s, you know, there are he said hundreds of thousands, but I think the number is actually in the millions of buildable combinations of F-150s. Oh, yeah. um, I believe it for the lightning. There's 70 buildable combinations because, you know, there's only one body style. It only comes as a dual motor, crew cab, short bed. Right. Um, you know, so you get to pick your colors, you get trims um, and the battery size. For this new truck, there's going, he said, there's going to be far fewer than on the Lightning. Basically, they're going to be, uh, when I talked to Lisa Drake, she said, you know, essentially, everything's going to be built into every truck and then you'll be able to configure it with software, configure what you want to have with That's software. That's kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're really going all in on this whole software defined vehicle thing. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be learning more about this thing over the next year or two. You know, it's still more than two years away from production. Um, you know, by the, by the time this thing gets into production, but, Ford is still saying, you know, that they want to be at a 2 million annual run rate for, for EVs by the end of 2026. Wow. That's um, and that's, that's a global number. So that includes Europe, mm -hmm. China, and North America. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, 500,000 just from this one plant uh, that they call Blue Oval City. Um, that's that's going to that's that's be a lot of EVs. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, all right. We have one listener question slash comment, which came from Brenda. It's kind of a long one. Um, Brenda um, apparently bought um, a Jeep Grand Wagoneer. And not long afterwards, um, there was a, uh, a technical service bulletin put out by Stellantis. So TSBs are this thing that automakers use when there's something that, um, you know, is an issue. It's not. It's not something that rises to the level of a, of a safety issue that requires a recall of all the vehicles, but, you know, it may affect some or all of the vehicles um, and it, 
it's generally considered more of an annoyance factor than a safety mm-hmm. issue. Right. And so they, they put these out to, to dealers, to the TSBs, and you can, you can usually look them up. Um, and if a customer brings the car in, um, you know, complaining of that particular issue or, or if the vehicle is coming in just for regular service or maintenance, um, and you know, one of the things that the service departments do is they, they check the TSB database to see if there's anything on that vehicle that needs to be done. And then, you know, they usually do that and it's covered under warranty. So, um, Brenda says, I, I hope this message finds you well. I wanted to bring your attention to a concerning issue regarding the 22 Jeep Grand Wagoneer and my recent experience with a local dealership. Uh, Cape Coral Jeep Dodge Ram Chrysler. Uh, according to the TSB issued on in April 2022, potential issue with the vehicle's windshield may cause vertical distortion in the center area of the windshield surface. Unfortunately, my newly purchased Grand Wagoneer exhibited this exact issue just two weeks after purchase. After experiencing friction with the dealership's management, I contacted the 1-800 VIP number for assistance in having the defective windshield replaced. However, the dealership initially obfuscated in my attempts to have it replaced and begrudgingly agreed, providing only a loaner vehicle. After three days, the dealership called to say that they don't replace glass and instead ordered the replacement to be done at my home. Incredibly, the dealership still re- released the vehicle back to me with a known safety issue, a distorted windshield. Um, in addition, throughout this process, the VIP Wagoneer Ambassador hotline was worse than useless, providing only further complication and no clarity. I believe this issue is of critical importance to Wagoneer owners and potential buyers. I'm willing to share my experience uh, with you in an interview. Um, so I think, you know, what what I would recommend that Brenda do and anybody else that's in this case, that when it, when it comes to warranty issues uh, or any service on a vehicle mm-hmm. that you buy, um, you don't have to take it back to the dealer you bought it from. Um, exactly. You know, anything that's covered under warranty, you can take it to any dealer for that manufacturer. So you can go to any Jeep dealer in the country um, and say, you know, this, you know, this needs to be fixed. I want it done. And they will do it for you. If yeah. Now, you know, in the case of a windshield, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, the windshield, you know, Glass is not necessarily done at dealerships. You know, they're they're yeah. not necessarily equipped to do it. They will often send you to a specialized auto glass place, or you know, in some cases, uh, you know, do it at home. I mean, I've had I've had a cracked windshield replaced at home in my garage. You know, yeah, called, called Safe Light. You know, and they came out and replaced the windshield. It took like less than half an hour. I too have had windshields replaced in my driveway, and also. Uh, where I worked once upon a time, they were allowed yeah. to do the, and they just came to the parking lot and the place was okay with it. And they came and they replaced it while I was at work and, you know, Hey, can we have your key? We're going to replace your glass. Here's your key. Your glass is all set. So they do sometimes send people out like windshield guys, like to, to do that. Yeah. So what I would recommend to Brenda and anybody else that may be experiencing this issue with, with their Wagoneer, um, if your dealer is giving you a hard time about it, you know, well, first of all, you know, if they say that they're going to, send somebody out, you know, they're going to call a safe light or some other place to come out and do it. Just have them do that. I mean, mean, there's, there's no reason not to, you know, these, these companies that do auto glass, they specialize in it. They know exactly how to do it. They're they're going to do it just as well as a dealer is going to do it. Um, So, you know, I, I would say, you know, let them do that. Yeah, um, I I would say the same thing. I wouldn't hesitate if they're sending out a sort of glass company to replace that. That's actually that's a good thing. That's yeah. you're putting an expert in doing that is coming out to replace your windshield, which is they'll, they'll do it right. Yeah. And that's cause that's all they do. 
Right. Um, and then more generally, when it comes to things like warranty issues or TSBs or recalls, if you're having a hard time with with your dealer, just call another dealer. Yeah. <laughs> go go to another dealer. Don't don't go back to that dealer. You know, because you, you don't have to. You can go to any Jeep dealer. Right. Or and it's, you know, and it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. Like it's frustrating to yes. think like I bought this in a case of a Grand Wagoneer. That is not a cheap car. You bought an expensive car from a dealership. You're asking them to you know, fix this problem. And they're, they, they gave you, they made it a little bit difficult for you to do, you know, bring your car in or we're not going to do it. Oh no, wait, we're going to send it home. That's, that's annoying. It's totally an annoyance. And one that you really don't want to have to deal with, with when you're supposed to have better, you know, you've bought a luxury vehicle and there's extra service that Jeep does, you know, that, that VIP Wagoneer ambassador, like there's extra stuff they do. But if your dealer's being, being obnoxious, go to another dealer, like walk away. Same kind of thing you do if you're buying a car. A dealership's being really bad. Walk away. There's other places that sell it. Lots of lots of dealers. Yeah. And dealers, you know, as much as dealers get a bad rap and deservedly so in many cases, you know, if if they can make you a fan of theirs, if they can treat you right when someone else done you wrong, they'll make an effort to fix it in the hopes that when you need service and you need to go to Jeep, you will go to them instead of the guy who is awful. Or when you need to buy your next car, you will go to them instead of the guy who is awful, which you probably would do. You'll go to the one who treated you right once you spent money on your $100,000 car. So yeah, walk away to another dealership if the service department is giving you heck. And yeah, let them replace the glass at your home if that's something that they're offering to do. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, the the ambassador line, you know, the VIP Wagoneer ambassador line is also giving you a hard time. That's, yeah. you know, that's all, that's not good either. No, because um, that's supposed yeah, to make and, your life easier owning a Wagoneer, not harder. So. Yeah. So, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, there's somebody at Stellantis uh, listening. Uh, I know, I know there's people who work at Stellantis that listen to the show. Um, so, uh, you know, pass, you know, if you can pass this along to somebody uh, in the Wagoneer team, yeah, let them know. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, in general, you know, vote vote with your feet and your dollars. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. Whether, whether you're buying or just getting service, dealers giving you a hard time, go find Walk another away. dealer. Find yeah. another dealer. There's plenty of other places that sell and service the car. Yep. Yep. And that's it for this week. That's um, it. Yeah, we'll we'll talk to you next week. Um, and uh, if you got if you have any questions. You can email them to feedback at wheelbearings.media. Uh, you can put them in the um, um, the Discord. I'm losing my mind. Uh, <laughs> put, put them in the Discord. Uh, or uh, you can um, also um, send us, uh, if you want to record your question or your comment. Oh, yeah. You know, send us a recording, you know, record it on, you know, on your favorite uh, voice recorder app or voice memo or whatever. And, uh, you know, send us a link to it and we will use that in the show. Absolutely. Have a good one, guys. All right. Bye.